Amen? Amen. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Joel. Thanks for leading us in worship today. And hi, family. It's great to be with you again today and uh, in your home. So thank you for inviting us in today to be a part of uh, home church at home. It's so good. And we're so glad that you guys are taking responsibility to lead your families and lead yourselves in worship on Sundays. And I want to give a special welcome to all the kids that might be in the room today. And I know that you're enjoying your own um, curriculum and church services with Kids Place curriculum bags. 400 bags went out last week. That's pretty amazing. So thank you for our Kids Place team who did that. Uh, also, The Edge has been producing YouTube videos and different kinds of connecting with their kids. And Anchor has been doing the same thing, connecting for devos in the morning. So uh, you guys are getting fed probably more than back in the old day. So uh, this might be a good, a good reason that this happened, I guess, huh? Anyway, welcome to everybody. And kids, I want you to know you're welcome to stay in the room. Uh, you know, I may be old, but I, I still like kids. So uh, hopefully you stay in. I, I'm just saying, I'm thankful that I can't see you all in your jammies. And you should be thankful that I didn't wear mine. So that's, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, Joel mentioned something during worship, and I just want to say it again to you this morning, that even though we're separated by distance and in a physical nature, we are still connected by the Spirit. And it's one thing that sets the church of Jesus apart from every other organization, every other cult, every other religion, is that we are connected by the Holy Spirit. So even though we're apart, and you may feel alone in your house today, uh, I want to remind you that you're connected with every other believer, and particularly with us as we've chosen to um, stream live as long as we can because the Spirit's alive and well. So we're all connected this morning. By the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. So even though you can't see him, he has connected us more really than even if we were together physically. Uh, And Paul also said in Philippians 1 that we're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, that we're actually fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So I want to start this way this morning. I want to spend a little more time in prayer with you. Uh, Just pray over people, families, different situations. So if you'd bow your head with me this morning, I just feel led to take a little time and pray with you in your homes today. Father, today we're grateful that you are faithful. We're grateful for your spirit that binds us together. And today we know that people are struggling. People that are watching this morning are struggling. God, there's difficulties and challenges in life that are new to us. And with that in mind, Lord, we just remember today the George family who lost their dad and grandpa. God, we just lift them up to you and pray for your comfort and your strength in their time of need, Lord. God, we want to lift up people who are sick, people that are struggling not just with this virus, but with all the other things that we struggle with. And we lift them up and we continue to pray for your healing touch upon every life, Lord. God, we lift up our medical professionals who are in close quarters with people who are sick and with this virus. And it can be scary. It can be, it can feel pervasive on their lives every day to, to enter into this condition and then to have to go home again to their families. And so, Lord, we lift them up and pray that you would give them strength and courage And let them know how deeply they are valued um, by all the rest of the community. Lord Jesus, we pray for people that have been laid off, people that have lost jobs, people that are not working. I hear of more and more people every day 
Uh, pray for business owners that have had to close their businesses or put them on hold. Um, God, we pray for uh, all of the people that work in our community that, that maybe don't have as much work. And God, we pray, as always, that you will provide, God. And we trust you for your provision. But we pray for comfort as people don't know the outcome of this. God, we also want to lift up kids that are home from school and and they're missing school. They're missing all their activities, getting a little stir crazy. And so with that in mind, we pray for the parents that are struggling with their kids being home. And it's great to be together, but also it can be a little crazy sometimes. We pray for teachers that are missing their students. God, I thank you today for the change in our lives that causes us to spend more time together, causes us to play board games, go on walks, hang out, just be together more than we would. And I just pray that that would build uh, deeper relationships in our families. God, I thank you today for the things you've been doing, like sparing little Isaac's life who fell out of a window this week. God, thank you for sparing his life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing Mark Warren home from the hospital last night after a brief stay and for healing him, God. Thank you for the report from Linda King that the mass in her body was not cancer, God. We just give you praise for that and for the many, many more, God, that you're working in our hearts and in our lives. So, Jesus, we thank you that even though we're in a crisis, you're not. And you continue to be God and you continue to do what you do. And so we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, from your homes, amen. Right on. So uh, on your screen, you'll see a communication card. And I just want to, again, mention to you that we want you to contact us. Uh, we want you to get a hold of us. We have volunteers to help you. Uh, there are people in your neighborhood who will help you. But here's a way you can reach us. Communication cards. I respond to texts and messages and emails. I was in contact with over 50 nurses and professional medical workers in the last week. And and if that wasn't you and you want to connect with me and you're a nurse or a medical professional, just email me or text me. Uh, I will encourage you, okay? So the communication card is a great way to reach out to us and ask us for help or ask us for prayer. I also want to mention, as of uh, my request for you to continue to give last week, that you brought us up above budget. So thank you for that. Uh, We've met budget for the month of March. And so we're, we're really grateful for your giving. And what that also means is that we can meet our commitments for all of our missionaries and all of our local ministries that we are committed to giving to monthly, and we're so grateful for that. And so an easy way for you to give is just look at the top of your screen, and there's a Give button. Just push that button, and you can give, okay? But, of course, we always receive checks as well. So, like Joel said, we were planning to live stream from our homes, but then Governor Inslee gave us permission to come down here to the building and stream services, and the sound is just a little better down here, uh, so we thought we'd come here and do it. And I want to thank Evan Vickers, particularly for making this possible. Evan works so hard behind the scenes, does so much for us that many of us don't know about, but let me tell you, we would notice if it was missing. So Evan worked hard to get us all set up at home, and then we pulled the plug on it, and all that work uh, is going to be put on hold. We may have to do it at some point. Um, But he was gracious, and he's hiding upstairs behind the equipment, and so he's the reason, one of the reasons that we're online today. So thank you, Evan. Uh, I also want to say I'm proud of you, the church. I hear so many reports from people that are uh, serving others, that are giving to others, that are donating food. Um, You know, we have a great church, and many of you are doing so much. 
We also live in a great community. And I just want to mention that as well, that there's so many great people in our community. And we're blessed to be here. I'm part of a neighborhood watch group for my neighborhood. And normally, you know, that's used to keep track of people that are up to no good, wandering around, breaking into cars and things like that. But this week, I noticed on Neighborhood Watch, people were giving away things. People have chickens. They were giving away eggs to their neighbors. They're saying, come and get some eggs, or we'll bring them and set them on your lawn, or whatever. Uh, They were um, offering to go get groceries. One lady couldn't get out because she had a kid that's at risk. And so people offered to go get her groceries. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I just want to say thank you to our community as well. It's so great to see the best come out in people, isn't it? It's so great to see good character come out. We're in the midst of crisis. But one of the things I've also noticed through this time that has been good and has probably been a little negative has been the many voices. You know, we are just flooded with voices, all the reports, articles, and opinions, and posts. And I'm one of those voices, I know. So many voices, it's fatiguing. It's like, Man, after a day on the Internet, I'm more tired than if I'd been at the office all day, you know. And it's truly hard, really hard. Who to believe? You know, where do we get our truth? And the thing about it is everybody makes a very convincing case for their opinion or their post or or their article. But at some point, every opinion violates another opinion, right? And so we kind of have to decide what we're going to do with all these voices that we hear. And one of the things I think we need to do, we desperately need with all these voices, is we need discernment. There's a a little word that we could talk about. We need discernment. Ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to His church. You know, in these days with so many voices, I find that there's often a strand of truth in each voice or each opinion. But it needs to be balanced by the strands of truth that are in other voices and other opinions. Let me give you an example, and this was a real-life example from some conversations I had this last week. We know it's important, don't we, to control the spread of this virus that we need to isolate. So we need to stay at home, and we're doing that. But at the same time, we also know that it's important to keep the economy going because the vast amount of our world depends on our economy. In India, Nepal, in Haiti... They depend on us and the rest of the world to survive. Now, this is a picture that I got yesterday from Dilip, one of our guys in India. And he's out working the slums today and yesterday and bringing food to people that literally would not have food to eat. If it were not for Dilip and for the way that you're supporting and others are supporting people that are just bringing rice. That's what they have. They have rice. But if they didn't have these people, Dilip and others, it's a matter of life and death. These people would starve or possibly die from malnutrition. Uh, Every four seconds in the world, somebody dies from malnutrition and poverty and starvation. And then I received this from Alex, our missionary in India, and I just wanted to share it with you this morning as well uh, because it just is pretty powerful. And so let me pull it up here, Uh, Pastor Technical. All right, so here it is from Alex. This is this morning. I got this from him, and I wish I could show you the pictures, but they're protected. We can't get people in trouble where he's serving. But he says to us, pray for wisdom for us and especially for our pastors who oversee very vulnerable flocks. There are also tens of millions of migrant workers who are trying to walk back home, sometimes two or three states away, many hundreds of miles 
because the road, rail, and air transport has all been halted. You know, within four hours, India got shut down. And Alex says, it's dreadfully conceivable that more people could starve than die from corona in India. I pray it doesn't come to that. You know, this is the problem, is that in our sea of voices, there are strands of truth, and we have to know how to balance all this truth one with another. But what I want to say to you this morning, and I feel like this is the central message that God wants me to bring you today, is that there is a voice. There is a voice that cuts through all the noise, a a voice that cuts through all the other voices, a voice that brings rest to our souls. And if you're like me today, I need a little rest for my soul. And this voice is the voice of Jesus. And Jesus' voice is clearer than all the other voices, if we will just listen. And he tells us, in the midst of all this noise, what we desperately need to hear. And let me just start with this from Jesus for you today. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says this to you today. No matter how you're feeling, no matter what condition you're in, no matter your losses this week, Jesus says to you, I am with you. Listen for my voice. I am saying things to you that you desperately need to hear. This is what Jesus says to us today. He is the voice. Number one in your notes today, Jesus' voice cuts through all the noise. And if you're like me, I desperately need to hear him. I find the voice of Jesus through his word and through prayer so uplifting amidst all the other voices that can bring us down. But I must listen if I'm going to hear his voice. So I want to remind you today of just a few of the things that Jesus says to us that I want to get started with today. And the first thing is this from John 10. Jesus says to us, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus is our shepherd and we're a sheep. And how many of you know sheep tend to get nervous and tend to stamp stampede when there's difficulty or troubles or danger? And so Jesus wants us to listen to his voice so that we can rest in him. His voice cuts through the noise. He tells us to follow him, to trust him, even in the trial. Jesus, the shepherd, knows that trust brings rest. If you will trust in him, you will find rest for your soul. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavily weighed down and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Now, let me remind you, though, that Jesus is honest. He also acknowledges that there is trouble. He's not saying there's not going to be trouble. He says peace comes from being aware that there's trouble. Peace comes from meeting the trouble head on. Now, fear comes. Fear pervades us or or just gets into all of us when we wonder about the trouble, when we don't see what's coming. But Jesus makes it very clear that there is trouble. He says, let me settle that question for you. In John 16, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Listen to Jesus' voice cutting through the noise this morning. Jesus wants you to know that today, even though we're facing a health crisis 
that's quickly becoming an economic crisis, he says, you can have peace. You can have peace because I'm going to see you through to the end. If you trust me in the trial, I will see you through the trial to the end. Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. How is Jesus' peace different from what the world gives us? Well, Jesus left his peace with us, and his peace is knowing in our heart of hearts, in our knower, deep beneath anything else, that he is sovereign over all. That's where peace comes from. Peace comes from knowing that nothing can get in the way of God's will for me. If I trust him, then I can rest in his sovereign will for me, even if there's trouble. That's where peace comes from. You know, as a counselor, I can tell you we have this exercise that we take ourselves true through, and I call it the what-if exercise. Here's the what-if exercise. What if the worst thing happened in your life? What would that be? Can you think of it? What if that happened? Well, you identify what that would be, and then you say, God, would you still be good even if this worst thing happened? Jesus, would you still be enough for me even if this worst thing happened? And you name that fear, and you call it out, and you trust Jesus in the trial, and you walk it backward to where you are, and the fear can subside because you know that God would be good and Jesus would be enough for you even if the worst thing happened. It's our choice what we do with fear. Now, I can tell you, having been in church work for 35 years, that I have walked many, many, many people back from the worst what-if they could think of in their life. And there are people that are sitting watching today in this moment that if they would have thought about their what-if, they would have been filled with fear. But the fact of the matter is that God brought them back from the worst possible what-if of their life because they trusted him in the trial. And they let him bring them back. So I'm telling you that God is faithful even in the what-ifs. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, we choose to be troubled or not. We choose to be afraid or not. And both of those things depend on what we really believe in God in the trial. Do you believe that he is good? Have you settled that? In your heart of hearts, even in the worst what if, even if you catch the corona, do you believe that God would be good and Jesus would be enough? You have to settle that because part of our problem in trials is what we believe about God. But I have good news for you today. It turns out that he is good. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that you might have life and that you would have it to the full. So let me tell you God's heart for you today. Even in the midst of this crisis we're in, God's heart for you is that you would have a full life. That's his desire for you. Sometimes life can be troubling, but even in the midst of trouble, it can still be full. I have talked to more people this last week via messenger than I think I talked the whole first three months of the year. I mean, this crisis had brought about such great connections because people have time and people are open. And I have found that life is sometimes at its fullest. Relationship with God is at its fullest when there's trouble. Trouble in life that leaves 
me hungry, that leaves me thirsty, that leaves me wanting what only God can give me. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who are thirsty for righteousness, for they will be filled. So here's what I believe today. I believe that Jesus wants to fill you with his voice and with his word in the midst of the troubles we're facing. But there will always be many other voices trying to minimize Jesus, trying to take our focus off of him, trying to make him less to us than what he really is. So let's jump into 2 Peter 2 this morning as we talk about those voices today and how they um, impact our lives. Starting in verse 1, Peter writes, There were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. And in their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Let's talk about these heresies, these um, heretical prophets and teachers in the church. But what I want to do today is also make it very practical for you and, and see if you can identify some of these characteristics in the voices that we hear out in the world as well. So destructive heresies come about right away in the first century church. And what these are is these are ideas that come alongside the truth. So you have the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then you have these people that were bringing along falsities. And after a little while, it makes the truth false. Just a little bit of falsity can make the truth false. Just like a little bit of poo in a batch of brownies makes the whole batch bad. You don't want to eat it, right? So heresy isn't usually big and in your face. Heresy, false teaching, doesn't always seem false. And in fact, sometimes at first listen, it might even seem like there's some sense to it, but it's just a little bit off. And that's exactly what this term means that Peter uses here. To cleverly teach destructive heresies means from the Greek word to bring alongside the truth. In other words, you don't get rid of the truth. No, you keep the truth, but you alter it just enough to make it heresy. Now, what were some examples of this in Peter's time? In Peter's time, Judaism even became heresy as people continued to try to be righteous through keeping the law after they had been told that they could only become righteous through Christ. So that became heretical. Another um, well-known one from Peter's time was Gnosticism. Gnosticism was the heresy of the day. Uh, This was the belief that anything physical was evil, like your body was evil, and you, be, you could become free from this evil through gnosis or enlightenment or from what you knew or what you learned. That knowledge was king. And the more you knew up here, the freer you became. So that was a heresy because, again, it didn't uplift the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter mentions three things in this text that we need to pay attention to. And these are three things that characterize false teachers of the day. And interestingly, I think these three things also characterize some of the voices that we are hearing today and here's the three they are number one um, shameful immorality i would say we have shameful immorality wouldn't you 
The number two, slander of the truth, just making truth twisted a little bit so that it's false. And then number three, good old-fashioned greed. Good old-fashioned greed. Let's look at, three, at these three things and see if you can find them in uh, some of the voices that you hear today. Number one, shameful immorality. What this word really means from the Greek is being licentious or taking license with the things of the world. In other words, the idea that you could be a Christian, but you keep one foot in the world. Uh, You're going to still enjoy all the things of the world that you want to enjoy, even if they're sinful, um, but you're going to say, I'm a Christian as well, I'm going to go to church. Uh, Peter's saying false teachers will be characterized by living like the world. They're going to want to keep one foot in the world. And then number two, slander of the truth. And again, that means adding just enough falsehood that it becomes heresy. Now, there's a couple of, uh, of great examples that we know about that are pretty common examples. Um, that one is Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses don't teach the Trinity. They teach that Jesus was not eternal God. We believe he's eternal deity. Uh, rather, they teach that God made him and that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, where we believe that a Holy, the Holy Spirit is a personal member of the Trinity. And so this is what makes Jehovah's Witness a cult. Uh, secondly, Mormons. You're pretty well aware with some of the Mormons' doctrine. Uh, the doctrine teaches that God was once a man and that he progressed to godhood, uh, clearly heresy. Jesus was first born spirit child of God, and he had a heavenly mother, clearly not biblical. And then the Mormons teach that we all will become gods, and you don't find that in Scripture either. And then the one I, one I want to bring to you, because this is the one we're running into mostly today, and that is the teaching of the Unitarians. Uh, this is the false teaching that all paths lead to God. This is what I call the gospel according to Oprah. But Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in this time of many voices, it's so important to stick close to Jesus and to stick to his word. And then I have what you would call heresy within the church. This might not make a church a cult because they may still stick to the gospel of Christ, but it may be heretical within the church. One of these is the prosperity doctrine. This is the false teaching uh, that has really characterized televangelism. And that is the idea that you give to get. Rather than giving out of pure motivation like compassion or obedience to Christ, you give to get. And this is the idea that the more you give financially, the more God will give to you. And that he will bless you financially for giving financially. And this really sets up the third characteristic of a false teacher that I want to bring to you today. And that is good old-fashioned greed. Giving with the wrong motivations. Let's talk about that for a moment because we're seeing it now. Um, crises, like the one we're in, brings out the best in people, doesn't it? We've talked about that already. But it also brings out the worst in people. And greed raises its head during these times of crises. We've, we've all heard the stories of people that are buying and hoarding certain items. Uh, here's a picture of the hand sanitizer guy. You probably read about this guy, but... Over 70,000 items, drove around to different cities and uh, bought this stuff to sell on Amazon, elevating the prices. I mean, think about the greed of this. While thousands of people are without hand sanitizer to help rid themselves of the coronavirus, this guy is going to make some money off of Amazon. Well, fortunately, uh, Amazon found out about it and the state found out about it and they made him donate this whole stash to charities so they could give it away. So that's pretty cool, right? 
But it's also been so refreshing for me to hear so many stories of people being selfless, not greedy, donating during these times, giving their time, their talent, their treasure. And and there's more things you're going to hear about as we go along. But people who are donating food, donating money, making masks for the medical profession, building cots, you're going to hear more about that, doing acts of kindness. You know, we've been doing some things like that through the church here. Susie, our own Susie and a team put together 100 bags, grocery bags for people. And I want you to notice uh, the toilet paper uh, sticking its head out of the top of the bag. You know, we don't hoard things here, right? We give it away. Now, someone in our church heard about the fact we were putting grocery bags together. We were just going to fund it out of our general funds. But this person came in and said, I would like to pay for all the groceries that go in those bags. Now, isn't that better than being greedy? I think that's awesome. And those kinds of stories go on and on and on. And one of the signs of people being righteous in times of crisis is that you become kind. You know, Christ brings generosity out of us in times of crisis. And so we find charity in crisis. And God does love to help the righteous. In fact, that's number two in your notes today. Jesus rescues the righteous. So if you want to experience all of the rescue Jesus has available, uh, you want to work at being righteous. You want to work at being generous. You want to work at entering into the lives of your neighbors and your neighborhood and your family and being the best you that you can be during this time. Now, I want to say to you, that doesn't mean Jesus gets rid of all of our troubles. That's not what it means. It means really that he rescues us from ourselves. Jesus rescues the righteous from ourselves, from fear, from deceit, from greed, from immorality. And I'm the first one to admit that I struggle with those things as much as the next person. But God loves to rescue the righteous. And anyone who's in Christ is righteous. And he loves to teach us to trust in the trials. Peter writes in verse 7, God rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the final day of judgment. You know, I read this scripture this week and I thought, I'm so glad we don't live in Sodom. Aren't you glad you live in Linden, not in Sodom? And I think we probably could find 10 righteous people in Linden. That's how many it took to keep God from destroying Sodom. I think that's pretty cool. But we still have trials, don't we? We still have trials in Linden. We struggle with things here in the county. And Peter says to us here in this passage, the Lord knows how to rescue you from your trials. But you have to trust him. And you have to allow him to make you righteous. But trust is the way through trials. Trust tends to either bring the worst out of us when we don't trust or the best out of us when we do trust. Trials tend to bring things out of us like hoarding toilet paper and not worrying about the guy who's just going to be stuck You know, when he doesn't have a role, you know, trials can bring the best out of us as we trust Jesus in the trial. Here's what he does. He frees us to become the best that we can be. Think about it like this. Without Jesus, what are we ruled by? We're ruled by fear, aren't we? And it's fear that motivates us to be greedy. 
It's the scarcity mentality. Fear says, I'm not going to have enough, so I better hoard something. Whereas faith says, you know what? God will provide. He's an abundant God. I'm going to share what I have because I know my God will provide my needs. He might do it you know, through a miracle or he might do it through my neighbor. But God's going to provide my needs. And with faith in Jesus, we can trust in the trial. And he frees us from ourselves. He frees us from the fear that motivates us to be greedy. And that brings us to our last point today. Number three, Jesus frees us from ourselves. Jesus frees us from ourselves. If you're like me, you are your own worst enemy. We have a tendency to go back under pressure, don't we? To our old selfish ways. But with Christ in our lives, we have the opportunity to choose Christ over crisis. We have the opportunity to choose charity over crisis. We have the opportunity to be the best that Jesus wants us to be because we know him. Let's read this last couple of verses from Second Peter. Peter says, When people escape the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just focus on that for a second. How do you escape the wickedness of the world? By knowing your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the relationship with Christ that brings you out of the ways of the world, the greed, the immorality, the slander that the world struggles with. And But, but then they get tangled up and enslaved by sin again. They're worse off than before. It'd be better if they'd never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another that says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Uh, and so do toddlers, by the way, right? Uh, they love the mud. This crisis that we're in is a test of our character. And Peter tells us that our tendency is to go back to our old ways. But Jesus tells us, I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to follow my voice. I want you to, to let me lead you to having good character in crisis. You know, this crisis is an opportunity to see just how free Jesus has made us, free from ourselves, to discover just how far we've grown in our relationship with Christ. Like Peter's been talking to us for weeks and weeks through this series, that we're in trials, and trials bring out the best in us. They prove us to be followers of Christ. But I'm not going to lie to you this morning. It's also a temptation to go back to our old ways like a washed pig goes back to the mud. But because we know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because we hear his voice louder than all the other voices that we hear, we can be all he wants us to be. We can be free from ourselves, from the greed that would want to beset us, from the immorality that would want to beset us from us wanting to keep one foot in the world. We can be free from that, free to not only live not just for ourselves, but to let his best come through us to a world under crisis right now, to a world that desperately needs his love. And I believe that when we trust in the trials, it's there that we will find rest for our souls. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to worship together as we close. I I invite you to stay.
tuned this morning to whatever it is you're watching us on. We want to worship together as we close today. But I just want to pray with you. Jesus, thank you today that you are a Christ over our crisis. And that we can trust you in our trials. And that you want us to build focused faith over our fears. And so this morning as we bow our heads and as we believe that you are good, when the worst thing could happen, and we believe, Jesus, that you are enough for us, we place our trust in you. And Jesus, I pray this week that we would hear your voice louder than all the other voices. That wherever we're at this week, whether it's in a loss of a job or having had to shut down our business, or whether it's facing this virus on a daily basis at work, or whether it's being at home with our family and going a little crazy, or not knowing how we're going to pay for some of the bills that are coming our way, some of the unknowns in our life. Lord, no matter what it is, that we would trust you in this trial. And we would truly believe this moment, this day, with all of our hearts, that God, you are good. Jesus, you are enough for us. And it is well with our soul.